This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Here is your host, Colin Wood. Today on the podcast, we're continuing our discussion about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And we're looking at a pattern of the enemy's schemes, how he uh, attacked uh, the Lord and how he uses those same schemes to attack us, to tempt us and develop a plan for us to resist uh, the enemy. We have talked about two of the three. Pastor, you, you mentioned uh, the first two um, were appetite and approval. Uh, I loved how you talked about core issues with each of those. And uh, you said with appetite, the core issue is fear, uh, this idea of never being satisfied, um, need and satisfaction. And then with approval, you talked about the core issue being shame. Mm. Uh, well, I, I'll never be enough, that idea. So yeah. today we've come to uh, the third temptation. Um, help us think through that. Yeah. So now we're moving on to the third time Jesus is tempted. And remember, we talked about these temptations being categories that the enemy uses in our life today. And really, you could take every temptation in your life and put it in one of these three categories. Mm. Do I have enough? Am I good enough? And the third one is, am I doing enough? Mm. Ambition, am I doing enough? And I talked about last week how I tend to uh, kind of drift toward approval, although ambition would be a close second for me. Mm. Um, now, we talked about this uh, a while back. This is not just something designated to Jesus. Like the, the enemy didn't just tempt Jesus with these things. We see these distractions all through the Bible. In fact, you can go all the way back to Esau. Uh, you can go back to Adam and Eve. They gave in to appetite, mm. right? With the fruit, Esau gave in to appetite, literally, mm. and then destroyed his brother. Uh, Jacob sought ambition to manipulate his brother Esau. Mm. Uh, then you have Saul succumbed to ambition. Saul wanted to be king. He wanted everybody to like him with approval. David gave in to appetite, although he really probably gave in to a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, appetite with who? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, yeah. Samson probably struggled with all of them. <laughs> right? I mean, all of them. He was going to prove he was the strongest. He was seeking approval, and he gave in to appetite with women. Uh, Peter. For sure, Peter gave in to approval. He wanted to be respected and known and the best. He wanted to be the leader. And then ambition. Everybody's going to fall away, Lord. I guarantee it. I'm not. I'm going (laughs) to prove to you I'm not. And then Paul, uh, many of them, but for sure, ambition. Hmm. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, of the nation of Israel, as for righteousness to the law perfect, blameless, right? So let's read Matthew 4. We're going to look at the last one, ambition, and we're going to just kind of take this apart and see how it uh, affects us today. Matthew 4, what verse do you want me to start Uh, with? Start with 8. Start with 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Okay. What Satan is doing is he takes Jesus to a mountain Mm -hmm. and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these. Now, what's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't refute this. 
Like he doesn't push back and say, Satan, you don't own any of this anyway. It's actually my father's, you know, we own this. We've given you the right to it as the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2. But he doesn't refute it. He doesn't say anything. Yeah, I've actually wondered in the past how this was a temptation. The the stones into bread, I understand, because Jesus was hungry. But how was this a temptation? Yeah, I think it's a temptation because he's trying to get Jesus to circumvent the process, okay? Mm. So what he's saying is this. Jesus, you and I both know it's going to be a long road ahead, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to go to the cross, do you? You don't want to be persecuted. You don't want to be beat. You're going to be deserted by your own friends. Mm. You're going to have a bunch of uh, beatnik disciples that you're going to have to lead. And by the way, one's going to be stealing from you with the traveling (laughs) treasury named you. I mean, your own people are going to turn on you. Your family's going to think you're crazy. Hey, listen, let's just put all that out the way. Mm. If you bow down right now, you can have it all. Mm. And what he's tempting Jesus with is the exact same thing he tempts us with. And that is this, to make or take shortcuts in the process of God's plan. Mm. And if you're like me, I don't like to wait. You know, I want it now. I see it. I want to go for it. But as we know, God's never in a hurry. And so what happens with ambition, you have two sides. You have a strength and you have a weakness, okay? So uh, on one hand, you have the strength of, I, I'm ambitious. I want to win. I want to win. Now, the problem is- At all costs, maybe. Yes, and the problem is not winning. It's not bad to want to succeed. It's not bad to want to win. We want to win. We want to do well. What's bad is winning, like you said, at all cost, mm. where the end justifies the means, and you will do whatever it takes, and sadly, you will manipulate, you'll cut corners, you'll take shortcuts, you'll compromise to do whatever it takes to succeed. Now, the flip side is, if you can't win mm-hmm. and you can't succeed, then you say, I don't want to play the game. I'm not, you, know, you remember that kid in uh, in the neighborhood? He would come out with the basketball or the football. You had this kid, and uh, he wasn't very athletic. I had him in our, our neighborhood. His name was Richie. I may have been this kid. Okay, you may have been this kid. Okay, I'm just saying. Just <laughs> yeah, saying. yeah, but yeah, so you come out or whoever come out. Richie came out with a nice ball, and uh, he couldn't catch very well. And somebody would crack a joke like, "You can't even catch the ball, Richie. You got butterfingers. Butter yeah, butterfingers." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Richie would look over and say, g- g- "Give me the ball." Well, no, 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 no. Come on, no, give me my ball. What are you doing? We're just playing, you know? Mm-hmm. And he'd say, I'm going home. He'd take his ball and he'd go home. And he'd do this often. That's what, we don't do that as adults, but we, we don't take our ball and go home. But we just say, you know, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to hang with them. Well, or even disengage with uh, discussion if, I, if I'm not getting my way. Or you okay, not, Colin? No, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm, I'm done. Passive aggressive. Yeah, passive aggressive. Okay. Yeah. So what happens is there's two sides to this and equally both sides will will be a problem. Now I find this is the hardest for former athletes. And this is a, this is something I I think, and I I see this even in my own life because we were raised growing up competing Mm -hmm. and we were raised with a certain identity. And so, you know, we were athletes, we competed, we succeed, we want to win. And I find now it happens with guys, particularly in their late thirties, early forties, and if you're like me, and I put myself and Colin in this category, the problem is we don't think we're 40 in our mind. I still think I'm in my mid-20s, early 20s, you know, like in my <laughs> mind. Like I could still play, like I could still dunk a basketball. Oh, yeah. Which I, oh, yeah. I think I can still dunk a basketball. I tried it a couple months ago. The jumping up wasn't the problem. It was the coming down that destroyed my back, you know, when I tried to show off to my, my boys. But the problem is we get older. 
And we don't realize it, but now when we come home, it takes a while to recover. Ben Gay and Epsom salt and rest and limping at work. And I think what happens is this. Here's how you know you're caught up in this temptation of ambition. You start to romanticize the past Mm. and you start to play in your mind, what could have happened if this would have been different? Mm. Like I would think, well, what could have happened if my parents would have held me back a year and instead of me graduating at 17 and going to college at 17 as the youngest guy in my class, what if they would have held me back and now my first year in college was my last year in high school? Mm -hmm. Or what if I wouldn't have broken my ankle in middle school? What if I wouldn't have gotten uh, on drugs? Or what if I wouldn't have smoked cigarettes? I mean, you just play these things in your mind. And here's the problem with that. When you romanticize the past and you think what could have been, you cripple yourself from what God could do in your present and what he wants to do in your future. Wow! And so you have this ambition of wish I would have, and you find your value and what you could have done or what would be. And so what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break is this. There is a core issue associated with all of these. We know Mm -hmm. that. Fear with appetite, shame with approval. This one is one that uh, I hear a lot from people, and we're going to talk about how to respond to it. Yeah, I love that these core issues have helped me understand each of these temptations and identify them in my own life. And so uh, after the break, I want you to to share with us what is the core issue for ambition so that we can identify it and then develop a plan to uh, resist that temptation. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders, and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com, replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. We're talking about this temptation of the enemy with Jesus and how he uses it in our lives today, Uh, and it's this temptation of ambition, Uh, this idea that I will never accomplish enough, or have I accomplished enough? Uh, Pastor, you mentioned before the break that there's a core issue associated with ambition, and what these core issues have really helped me do uh, is see where I, I have that emotion, that feeling, and then identify that, oh, really, that's ambition that I'm dealing with. So what is the core issue when it comes to ambition? Yeah, the core issue is guilt. Mm. So you feel guilty 
that you're not doing enough, mm. that you're not succeeding enough, that you're not uh, performing enough. And we get this from the text. I mean, Satan comes to Jesus and he lays out this ambitious vision. Listen, mm-hmm. you don't have to work. You just have to bow down to me and I'm going to give all of these things to you. Mm. And what he wants to do is present an offer that is too good to be true and it's too good to pass on. Mm. Like Jesus in his humanity, if this was us, and Satan says, I'll give you all these things, you have to do nothing, and we pass. We say, you know, I don't think I want that. Then weeks or years later, we will think, wow, I missed that. Man, I could have invested in Apple when it was blank. Or I could have been a part of Amazon. You know, you, we hear all this. all, And it's the fear of missing out. Mm. You feel like, man, I've missed out, and there's the, there's the guilt associated with missing out. Uh, we live in a world today, uh, Colin, you know this, where FOMO is a big deal. Yeah. And it's been around for a while, that word FOMO, the fear of missing out. You know, it's like, hey, we got a bunch of college guys. We're going out west for a trip together. You got to go. You know, it's like, man, I got I got to take off of work. I know I'm going to lose my job, but I can't miss this trip, you know, <laughs> or this new cryptocurrency is coming out. You got to buy this NFT and this crypto punk and it's one time only. And I mean, you, you see this today and you have this fear, this guilt. If you don't go, you'll miss out. I actually have changed the acronym, okay? okay? I've changed the acronym to the fun of missing out. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. <laughs> the fun of missing out. Why? What does that mean? Well, this is what I, I realized. Okay, I fell into FOMO really uh, headlong uh, for a while because when I was a new Christian, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. When I was a new Christian, I remember distinctly sitting in my bedroom as a one-year-old Christian, on my knees, praying every single night, God, you put a call to preach on my heart. I have no dad that's a pastor. I've never been to seminary. I have no education. I've only been a Christian for a year, but it hasn't changed the call. Mm. Would you please give me somewhere to preach? I just remember praying this over and over. And obviously, that first year, not many opportunities, but Now I look back to that and here I am at a different position and now I have all of these opportunities coming that I prayed for those first few years and it's very tempting to just look at them and say, wow, here's an opportunity to speak to X amount of men or here in this city and this is a discipleship opportunity. This is a men's men and it's very easy to just say, I can't miss this. I got to go to this. And so for years, I would wear myself out by just saying yes, praying, you know, say yes first and pray second. Mm. And I realized that every yes, here's the thing you need to realize, every yes includes 10 no's. Mm. So when you say yes to something, you're saying no to about 10 other things. I'm saying no to my wife, Candy. Mm. I'm saying no to Rig. I'm saying no to Ryder, my two boys. I'm saying no to the house that I care for and the farm animals that I feed so that somebody has to pick up that. I say no to my church. I say no to my health. I say no to my rest time because now I'm going on my off time. And so I realized something early on uh, last year that uh, a mentor of mine told me right at the beginning of the revival. Because he said, now that God's reviving your church, people are going to want you to come to their church to share naturally. And it's an honor to do so. But he said, you have to remember something. And this is the line that's helped me this year. When someone asks you to do something, it's rarely for your own benefit, always for theirs. Hmm. Now think about that. When someone asks you to do something, a speaking event, come, come 
come be at my event, come open the event in prayer, come to it's normally because they want to capitalize on your platform, identity, clout, whatever, for their own good. Now, will it be a blessing to you? Absolutely. But I think it changes the way you pray through opportunities. And whether that's a new job or a new opportunity or a new business venture, because Satan would love nothing more than to burn us out. Mm-hmm. And we have many people today that are just running on empty. So ambition does this to us. Ambition causes us to believe this lie, okay? The lie says you and I have unlimited power, Mm -hmm. unlimited capacity, Mm -hmm. unlimited ability. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that's not the case because we have to sleep every night. Yeah. And I've always believed this. It's pretty interesting to think about this. I've always believed that, and you know, I think I can confirm it now, but I always believed that sleep was a mechanism that the Lord had put into play for humans mm. to show them that he is God and they are not. How is that? Well, because we have to sleep in order to live. Mm-hmm. God needs no sleep. That's true. He does not sleep nor slumber. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always with us. The word always means always. He's always around us. He never <laughs> sleeps. He's never taking a rest. He's never caught off guard. He never uh, is, uh, you know, so nothing surprises him. And so he never sleeps. And so the fact that we have to sleep is proof that we are frail. We are fallen. Yeah. Uh, we need rest. We need to recharge. And the fact is we don't have unlimited capacity. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we do. So what do we do? in order to combat this desire for ambition. As we've said with every one of these, and we'll talk about a game plan next week, so don't miss that, but I'm gonna give you this strategy right now, just like in the past. Jesus becomes Mm -hmm. what we deserve. Jesus absorbs what we should have taken on so that we won't have to, okay? Okay. So what Jesus absorbs here is this. Jesus becomes weak, so that we can become strong. Well, where does he become weak? I don't know about you. (laughs) He can't become any weaker than dying on a cross in humility. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what blew the Jews away. Like, this is our savior, this guy right here who's experiencing the lowest form of life, death. How can the, quote, creator of all things who gives life actually lose his life? But that's the beauty of the gospel, the upside down kingdom. That Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, goes to the cross on behalf of us, for sins he didn't commit that were that were ours, a death he didn't deserve that was meant for us, and then he takes it upon himself, goes into the grave, comes back to life, rises from the dead, and now shows us that he defeats death, hell, and the grave. So instead of resting on our own work Mm -hmm. that we can do and be good enough and smart enough and acceptable enough to God, we rest in the, quote, finished work of Christ. Mm -hmm. And you've heard that for years. What does the finished work of Christ mean? It is done. You don't need to add anything to it. It is complete. And so what happens is this. I don't have to feel pressured to win all the time. I don't have to feel pressured to accomplish all the time. I don't have to feel pressure to, to, to achieve all the time. And what happens to me is in ambition, if I'm not, if I'm not getting kind of the feedback from it, I'm going to ping pong to other places. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. What is that? What is, what do you mean when you say ping pong back and forth between the three temptations? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So what happens is we all are challenged by one or two of these more than the other. Mm -hmm. And let's say ambition. So when I, when I work and I don't get any 
accolades or I don't feel like I've accomplished something or I produce something that I'm not pleased with and I don't get the kind of temporal sustenance that I'm looking for, then I'm going to ping pong on the triangle. Remember, we, we gave you a triangle to, to write mm-hmm. down. I'm going to ping pong away from ambition, and then I'm going to go to approval. Mm. I'm going to put my fishing line into the pond of approval of people by fishing for, sir. Hey, what did you think? Did you really enjoy that sermon? I'm priest. What'd you think about that? You know, I'm going to lead them with the, yeah. yeah. Did you read, what did you like about my new book? <laughs> yeah, it's one of my, what did you like? What did about you it? like about my new, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, or if I don't get it there, then I'm going to ping pong over to appetite and I'm going to destroy some Swiss cake rolls and little and Twinkies at night, little Debbie's because I know I can win there. Yeah. Right. And that's what, we do. Now, I'll tell you a real world, perfect example. I have not shared this with anyone yet. I just got laid it on my heart right now. But um, when the revival started here at Long Hollow uh, one one year ago in December, mm-hmm. um, from December 20th through probably the death of Chris. Okay. So we're talking July 9th here. Yeah. Uh, July 15th is when he died. July 9th, he went in the hospital. But from the time period from December till July 9th, let's say, we were in, you would agree, this hot, white hot season of revival. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we could sense the presence of the Lord, and we were, we were sensing the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit. And I, as the pastor of the church, trying to navigate a group of people toward and through this revival, I felt like, as someone shared with me, I felt like the curator of the fire. I felt like I was the one in charge of the curator of the fire. And I couldn't produce the fire, but I could poke the fire. I could add more logs to the fire. And then I had to watch when the fire simmered and didn't be okay with it. So that was my job. I had to like manage the fire. Okay. And so along with that came a lot of pressure from me, Hmm. a lot of pressure, Hmm. Uh, which is why I look back and I think, wow, I could have easily, because this is just my nature, mm-hmm. I could have easily burned out mm-hmm. on the revival. Hmm. It's crazy to think that. How do you burn out on a revival? Well, here's why. If you stand too close to a fire too long, you get burnt. Hmm. You could stand close, but not too close. And if yeah. you stand too close for too long, you get burnt. And so I felt this pressure that I had to, so what did I do? And you guys know this. I would regularly, I mean, every day I changed my whole schedule around to manage the revival. I would come in at seven, seven fifteen. I would work till one every day at one. I would leave the office and I would go spend time with the Lord from one to about four thirty-five every day in silence and solitude. Then I would go inside, eat dinner with the family. Candy, very gracious, and obviously she said, "Are you going out again? Uh, just be patient, sweetheart. It's a season. Thank God for." Her. And then I go back out at 7.38, and I would spend till 10 or 10.30 with the Lord every day. Then the next morning, I would wake up at 5, 5.15, get on my face before the Lord in my shed at home, pray for an hour or two, and go to work. So I was literally, and, and I don't even know how I did this, and I'm not saying this to boast, because me even telling you this, I'm even thinking, how did I even do this? Mm-hmm. But it was a spirit-led God-infused desire to do this, and I just felt like I needed to be around, and I wanted more of God. And so I was pressing in six, seven, eight hours a day hmm. with the Lord, okay? I don't do that anymore, I, 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 not even close. Um, I'd say it, but here's the point, here's the point. So now, on the back end of the white hot season of revival, uh, last week, as I was getting ready to prepare, I was preparing to preach, 
the, the narrative in my head started to say, you can't, you're not going to expect God to show up this Sunday in this sermon because look at you. Hmm. You don't even pray like you used to. You haven't accomplished enough. You, you, you don't even get enough. up early. You get up early now, but you, I mean, you read your Bible like you always said, but you're not even on your face anymore. And you, you, you come home now and you're not spending hours with God. How can you expect God to show up on Sunday? Wow. So then I came this Sunday and I got on my face as I normally do and pray for about an hour, which I've kept doing that. And as I was praying, that same little voice came in my head. You're praying, but you didn't do anything this mm-hmm. week to deserve. And it was right there because I knew this. I knew these temptations. I knew this voice. I could identify the voice. The Lord reminded me, I'm not going to show up today and and manifest my presence based on anything that mm-hmm. you did this week. Wow. It's based on my sovereign prerogative to show up. Wow. The point of you praying and spending time and pressing into me is not for me, he told me. It's for you. Hmm. It's for you. It doesn't change him. It changes me. Hmm. And so I think that's the subtle difference. It's not that I'm trying to, I'm not saying don't work for the Lord, don't strive for the Lord. I'm saying what is the motivation to strive for the Lord? Is it to earn something like God, you, you, man, you better bless me. You saw what I've been doing for you. So much money I gave you so many hours I logged, or is it, man, I can't help but serve you for what you've already done. That's a radically different perspective. Man, that's so, so good. So helpful. We've talked about this before. I think that this area of temptation is the one that I wrestle with the most. This thought, this idea that, um, I, question if I've accomplished enough. And there's a a phrase that you have used with me personally and with our staff uh, that has been so helpful. You've challenged us to stop doing ministry for Jesus and start doing ministry with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was talking to one of our other staff members this week who has been working a lot of hours and um, I was encouraging him that the work of ministry will never be done. And so if you are waiting until you feel like you have finished, (laughs) you will never go home. You will burn out and the enemy will use that uh, to uh, attack you. The the irony is you were talking about Jesus's temptation to me is that the the end, what what Satan was tempting him with was not a bad thing, that he would have all the kingdoms of the earth. It's the means to get there that was the temptation. And so I apply that to my own life in ministry and think, man, a lot of the things that I want to accomplish or that I want to happen are noble, are good things. Mm-hmm. They're of the Lord. Yeah. But I can be tempted by the enemy to use any means necessary to get there. Yeah. And that's where I think I can fall. Pastor, thank you so much for uh, just being vulnerable, sharing uh, with us uh, how God has 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 used um, temptation in your own life, how we can uh, identify these things, defeat them. Uh, Pastor, let me just in- encourage you uh, as we have talked through these three different areas of temptation, these schemes of the enemy, to identify what area does the enemy like to attack you in? What is the core issue that he is using? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it shame? 
let's commit to stop striving in our own power, but to rest in the grace of God. Hey, next time on the podcast, we're going to be talking about a battle plan. What? How can we plan to defeat these schemes as the enemy uses them against us? And if these podcasts are helpful to you, would you do us a favor of sharing it with someone else? Uh, whatever platform you, you listen to the podcast on, you can like it. That helps the algorithms uh, get the podcast out to more people. And our desire is to take the things that we are learning uh, and share them with you. And so thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.